Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Hey guys, welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Today you're going to notice that that's just slightly different because like the rest of the world, we are under lock and key in our own homes and we are recording this uh, with slightly different equipment including our cell phones so we really hope that you can hear us well and we're going to do our best to um, make the quality as good as we can. Today we're going to be talking about something that all of us are thinking about which is how to do EMDR through telehealth. Um, There are lots of good resources that are already out there so we're going to share some things that we've been thinking about and also point you to some really good resources Um, that are already out there, and the ones that we're going to point you to are actually free, because free is always good, especially right now. Um, So yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Before we get into the episode, we do just want to mention that we're still on track to release our Patreon in May, Um, and so look for more information about that, but basically Jen and I are working hard to uh, create all kinds of really helpful content. Um, There will be extra episodes, there will be early release of episodes, um, and a lot more, so We'll give you more information about that as we continue to develop it, but we want to let you know to start looking for that because we'll have it on social media and all kinds of things. So, all right. So, Jen, do you want to dive in and tell us about what you've been thinking about in terms of making this transition? Yeah. I just want to, first of all, say that you guys have been in my thoughts a lot lately, and I know this is really hard times for all of us as therapists and just all of us as a nation and as a world. Um And so the more I think we can reach out and support one another throughout this process, the better, Um, whether it's just therapists in general or EMDR therapists specifically, it can be hard to switch over from our regular individual sessions, especially when we're doing intensive trauma work with EMDR and then moving into telehealth. So we're going to look specifically today at how do we make this transition with our clients, but I think we also need a network and a a group of people behind us as therapists supporting us in this process. So feel free to reach out and leave us comments or questions or thoughts. And Melissa and I will really do our best to reach out back to you guys and just stay connected and know that we're thinking of you throughout this and we want to be a support to you in any way that we can. So one of the first things that we're going to look at is setting up our therapeutic space. Um, But we also really want to talk about how to make that transition into doing that. So first, as we're introducing this to our clients, we want to be really um, sensitive to the idea that because of current circumstances, a lot of us are being pushed into this change. Maybe we've been thinking about it in the back of our minds for a while, or maybe we've been completely against offering therapy through telehealth, but Nonetheless, so many of us have been pushed into this change and so many of our clients are being forced into this without having a lot of say in it. Their options are kind of either no therapy at all with us or or doing it telehealth. Some of you may be still offering face-to-face sessions, um, but some of you may have strictly gone to telehealth. So I think that's an important piece as we're talking to our clients about making this change, or maybe they've already made it, that we're just really sensitive to the idea of that feeling of powerlessness and a lack of voice and a lack of choice. 
Um, and not that we can change that for them necessarily, but to acknowledge it and to connect with them in that feeling. So letting them know that we may be sharing that feeling to some degree um, and just have that connection through this process where they don't feel so alone. They can relate to us and how we feel kind of maybe fumbling through the process ourselves. Yeah, and Jen, when we were talking before, I think you made a really good point, which is in a lot of ways, we're almost starting over with our clients because the differences of how it feels to be, you know, doing telehealth therapy, we have to, you know, redo rapport in some ways. Not that they don't trust us, but their comfort level with interacting us, uh, interacting with us in that way um, is going to vary a lot from client to client and how much experience do they have. You know, if, if this is somebody, if a client is somebody that, you know, has meetings all the time for work via telehealth, it's not going to be a big deal. Um, but if this is their first experience, it is different. And there's just, you know, differences in the social cues, differences in eye contact, in the pattern of how we do a conversation via telehealth because of the little bit of a lag. And those are all things that we want to consider when we're doing this transition. And I, I think, you know, that idea of we're really starting over with rapport and then moving into preparation and really considering, you know, the benefits of doing some extended preparation and extended resourcing during this time, even going back to resourcing. Um, if we have been doing reprocessing, I think that it's really wise for everybody to go back to resourcing and preparation for a little while. Um, so, yeah, if you could kind of share how you've been doing that with people and what does that look like so far? Yeah, as the starting over piece, you know, we've got all of the same information about our clients and we do have that previous relationship, but to some degree, especially with our clients who struggle with attachment and maybe have attachment disorders or ruptured attachment experiences, we're really looking at, we've got to rebuild this from the beginning and hopefully it will move a little bit faster than if it was a brand new client, but it might not especially with the, such so many unknowns in this process, our clients don't know, will, when will I get to see you again? Like, when yeah. will I be face-to-face with you again? And there's there's a lot just kind of hanging out there that is unknown. So I've started, as Melissa said, back at square one with a lot of clients and just taking a couple of initial sessions or at least our first session, let's reestablish rapport through a screen. What does it look like to be attuned um, from a distance? What does it look like to have rapport and letting them have the reassurance that I'm still me, even though I'm on the other side of a screen? I had a, a client make a comment about that of, you know, feeling really anxious leading up to it. And then at the end, realizing like, wow, I slipped right back into just feeling my natural flow with you quick, quicker than she had expected. Yeah. So... Um, developing that rapport, spending some time just reconnecting through the screen, but also making sure we have all of the technical pieces set up um, and in place and the environmental pieces set up and in place so that we can have that rapport, that relationship, that attunement via telehealth. So just kind of briefly, there's a lot of trainings out there right now that go into detail about these aspects, but briefly, you know, we want a professional looking space, something that looks comfortable to them, isn't highly distracting, no bright lights right behind you, making sure that you're testing out your video quality before we really need our clients to be able to see our, the details in our face and to see our eyes. Um, So when we're trying to make clients, Uh, contact with them, eye contact, they need to be able to see that and feel that. So we need the screen close enough 
that they're seeing more of our faces so they can see our expressions. Those are key. They can see our um, body movements to some degree and not as much about the background that the lighting as well and the audio. They've got to be able to hear the very subtle changes in our voice. Um, a lot of times in EMDR therapy, we're speaking softer, so they need to pick up on those softer cues that we give. Sometimes it's a simple head nod or um, you know, a, a, a sound of reassurance that isn't even words, but they need to be able to hear and pick up on all of those pieces. I had another um, on the YouTube video, I think actually that we're going to recommend, there's a therapist on there who specifically spoke about um, having headphones that the client wear they recommend the client wearing headphones so our voice is going directly into their ears, not through the filter of whatever else is happening in the environment. I thought that was a great recommendation. Um, so those are just some things that we really want to consider for our clients in those ways so that we can have the best rapport and attunement in our reprocessing sessions. Um, Melissa, you mentioned something about eye contact with looking at the camera earlier. Do you want to share about yeah. that? So this is something that I have noticed, you know, as therapists, we're very conscious of eye contact. The problem is with telehealth, making eye contact is not actually looking at the client's eyes. It's actually looking directly at the camera on your computer or on your phone. And so that's something to really be conscious of that, you know, you need to look at that little black dot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you want to give the client the sensation of true eye contact, we have to look directly into the camera. Um, But for us, then that feels really disconnecting because we're not looking at the client's face. And so what I found to be helpful is uh, if you can move the client's face like on your screen as close to the camera as you can. So literally like move the the screen up um, so that when you're looking at the camera, your eyes really uh, when you're looking at their face, it looks like you're looking at the camera or as close to as possible. And the other thing is, is to really try to shift your gaze from the camera to their face and back again pretty often so that they really feel that sensation Mm -hmm. of you looking directly into their eyes, um, because that really, really helps with connection. Another really practical thing to think about is your internet in your home. And your internet is probably being packed more than it usually is. So when you test it to see how well does it handle, um, you know, a Zoom call or whatever telehealth um, program you're using, you want to do it when the things that are going to be happening in your home are happening, right? So if your kids are watching Netflix and your spouse is uh, on a conference call and you're going to be trying to do uh, telehealth during that time, you need to test it with those things happening because what can happen really easily is, okay, we tested at a different time, nothing is really going on, and then we go to do a call and there's not enough internet for all of that to be happening and we have a whole lot of problems. Um, so if and when you can, you know, requesting that your family be considerate of that or limiting what they're doing on the internet during that time, you can also buy Wi-Fi boosters to actually have in your office with you. If you are not right next to, um, your little Wi-Fi router and there's a whole bunch of doors closed between you and the router, you got to test it that way if that's how it's going to be when you're working. So those are just some technical things to think about um, because suddenly we are really dependent on our Wi-Fi more than ever. Um, so just, you know, make sure that you test in the exact same situation that you're going to be utilizing it or as close to that as possible. Yeah. And letting your clients know, um, I think any telehealth training would have this in it. So you guys have maybe heard this a hundred times, but 
um, letting your clients know what is the backup plan. Always, always having a backup plan. If we lose connection, if the computer freezes, if the, your battery dies um, or it just completely quits, maybe uh, all of a sudden it shuts down, we have a backup plan to connect, whether it be by phone, um, another platform, but some way that we're, this is the plan. And if something goes awry within this many minutes, I'll recontact you through this. And we'll connect on there. And so that they're they're never left just completely hanging with no contact in the middle of whatever we're doing. We also always want to know safety-wise, where's the client calling from? Where are they physically located at in case something was to really go wrong? Um, and you know, what is their cell phone number or what are, you know, what are ways that we can contact them if we need to? So having their address that they're calling from and then having a backup plan. I always, from the first couple of sessions, talk through with that plan with my clients and let them know if these things happen, this is our plan B, and this is what I want you to do in the meantime. So reviewing some of those resources, containment, calm place, uh, some other resources we've used, some coping strategies that until I call you back, until we reconnect in those moments as you're waiting, this is what I would ask for you to do. And it's kind of walking through that and making sure they know that plan. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of you guys have heard this, but it bears saying is that right now, as long as our country is considered in a state of emergency, the HIPAA rules have changed and are much, much looser than they used to be. So um, now that will change back as soon as we are out of a state of emergency. So that's something to also let your clients know that right now we can call them and have a session on the phone or through FaceTime. FaceTime is a great option. Um, because those HIPAA rules are much more relaxed, but that will not be sustainable long-term. So that's something that you want to communicate to your clients if they're getting used to one platform, um, that that will have to shift eventually if they continue to do telehealth. Um, and we all need to be staying updated about what the HIPAA rules are because this is kind of new to all of this. But right now they're much more relaxed and that does mean we can be doing phone sessions, FaceTime, etc. So kind of moving through the regular standard protocol and how we might consider that as we're shifting into telehealth. Um, so we're redeveloping rapport. We don't have to do a lot of other history taking. Um, the only other history piece would be an update on how is all of this affecting their lives now. And maybe there's a shift in our treatment plan with our clients. Maybe we're not jumping right back into the treatment plan we have before and targeting something from childhood if they've just been laid off from their job and you know they don't have the money to pay for their rent and, and that is their new crisis. So we're gonna wanna reconsider what our previous tra- treatment plan was, kind of reconceptualize our approach with them and collect anything new of how is this, you know, crisis we're experiencing affecting them personally knowing for some people it will have very little impact and they're continuing to work and they're you know just kind of shifting the way they're doing things and for other people it's been a devastating impact whether it's health reasons or economic reasons so checking in on that piece we're going to make sure we're focusing on report attunement as we talked about and then moving into resourcing and really focusing on Uh, resourcing through telehealth. So making sure they still have a strong um, concept and grasp on the resources they've done previously, 
But now if we're looking at moving forward with EMDR, it's really helpful to try resourcing through telehealth first um, with our clients. Let that be their first exposure to bilateral instead of a trauma processing. And it gives us an opportunity to see how they respond, them an opportunity to experience it, and us both to kind of determine what adjustments do we need to make? Do we need to try a different form of bilateral just to see what works best for them? Yeah, so, you know, moving into how are we doing bilateral through telehealth, I think, you know, one option that is a really good option for almost every client is uh, tapping, like them tapping on themselves. So either the butterfly hug where they have their arms crossed over their chest or through knee tapping. The one thing I'll say that I think is really helpful is if we act as their metronome, meaning that we tap along with them in a way that they can hear. That really lets their brain shift into a receptive mode rather than being distracted by having to keep track of how fast are they tapping, how hard are they tapping. They're just matching our rhythm and matching uh, what they're hearing from us, and that really lets them enter into the experience more. So that's something to also test um, as far as the technology goes is you tapping in a way that they can really hear. Um, oftentimes you just doing the butterfly hug and, you know, tapping hard enough that it's making a noise is going to be enough, but it may be that you need to tap on the table next to your computer, um, or something like that. So you just want to experiment with that and make sure that they can really hear you. Um, the other option is that you can snap your fingers, um, or do something other than tapping and you're making a noise that they can hear in a different way. Um, so if you're going to have them do their own tapping, you just want to make sure that you're tapping along with them. Yeah, I think that what I've seen with my clients so far is that the first couple of sets that we do are a total trial. Um, And it's, you know, just experimenting with it. And even once they're comfortable and they're ready as we get started, for the first couple of sets, they're still hanging on to the cognitive side of this is what I'm doing. I'm trying to listen for what she's doing and what does that sound like and how am I holding my hands But within two or three sets, they start to, you know, their muscle movements become more um, instinctual and memory-based, and they just kind of find a flow, and then they're able to let go of that cognitive processing on it and just really move into that deeper level processing. But let them know as you're getting to try this, like, it might take a few sets um, before you're able to let go of the focus on what's actually happening in the room and just sink into processing the, the memory or the experience. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, the other option is doing eye movements. Um, and, you know, the one of the easiest ways is that you're just doing uh, finger movements in front of the camera and they follow it on their screen, and that can work pretty well. Um, the other option is that they choose two points in the room that they're in, and you want to kind of talk to them about, you know, what are those points, what are you looking at, how far apart they are, Um and for some clients that works pretty well, other clients that that they're very uncomfortable with that. So you want to kind of try and, and make sure that uh, that's going to work for them and they're, they're going to be able to focus in that way. The other option is if you guys do have a light bar, it does work really well to set up your light bar in front of your computer. The way that I found that works the best is if you have your light bar in front of your computer and you sit just off screen, but in a way that you can still see the screen, right? So I'm, I'm able to see what their eyes are doing and uh, monitor what's happening for them, but they can't see me because it is very distracting for the client if they're trying to follow the light bar and you're sitting behind the light bar, right? That's, um, 
that's really unhelpful to them. So you want to position yourself so you're just off screen so that you can still see what's going on and could kind of lean in at a moment's notice so they really feel that you're still right there with them. Yeah, and we want to make sure that we are still knowing our clients in this process. So when we're trying to read their cues, so much of as a therapist, us knowing what to do next is reading all of their nonverbals, seeing what their facial expressions are doing, seeing the rate at which they're breathing. Um, yeah. Is that are they wringing their hands? Are they you know tapping on their knee? Know your clients and what are their their nonverbals that we usually watch for when we are present, and then making sure we can be able to check those out even through telehealth. So that might mean for your client pulling the screen in or moving closer to their screen where you can see their face a bit better, or even pulling it back where you can see, you know, what's their posture looking like and be able to see their chest rising and falling to know how fast are they breathing or some of those really subtle cues. If possible, we are limited in some of those, like you're not going to be able to see if their foot's tapping or some of those things. But if there are some that you can make accommodations for, consider those and then really still be watching for those through telehealth. And you may pick up on new ones in this way. You might start to pick up on some that you didn't see before. Yeah, yeah, that's really true. Um, Also, you guys have probably seen or done some research on your own about apps that people can download on their own phone or their own computer. Um, And there's several of them, so we're not going to go through all of them. We do just want to mention that there's a free one, um, and we posted it on our social media. um, But the website is bilateralstimulation.io. And this is a very simple app. It has, you know, a color dot that moves across the screen, but it gives you remote control of what's happening on the client's screen, which is very, very helpful. A lot of the other apps, it's the client that's having to control it. So the reason why I like this one, especially considering that it's free, is that it um, connects your computer, your phone to what's happening on their screen um, and lets you have control over the speed and, um, you know, really kind of stay in tune with what's going on. So that's a really good option for an app, bilateralstimulation.io. So my preference in this process has been to, once I do some resourcing and experience that with the clients through telehealth, to move into a low-impact target. We've talked about this before, and um, depending on who you were trained by, you may or may not have been trained to start your therapy in this way. But if we can choose a small target to be their first reprocessing via telehealth, that gives us a lot of information and it helps the client to develop a comfort and a confidence in the process too. So even if they have already done low impact targets and you've worked through multiple you know, targets, big targets, and you're ready to move forward, I still recommend a more cautious approach where we say, let's go back and choose another lower impact target. It doesn't have to be completely random, but it could be still in your um, in the network you're working on. It could still be part of the treatment plan that you're doing, but maybe not one that's a nine or a 10. Maybe right. one that's a four, a five, even down to a three, where they can just experience it um, and get the benefits from it without having to have the intensity through telehealth. And you can kind of judge how do we pace our work in this and how are they going to respond? So it's not a requirement by any means for anyone, but I think it's a great consideration and just looking at how do we set this up for them to be the most successful and comfortable in the process. 
Well, and something that, you know, as we're doing consultation calls and talking to people that I've been encouraging everybody to stay really aware of is, you know, whether or not this has impacted your client yet, um, because we don't know what is going to happen within the next week, the next two weeks, the next month, we need to anticipate that there is at least a good possibility that this is going to get worse before it gets better. And so even though our clients are okay right now and they haven't been personally impacted right now possibly, that doesn't mean that the next time we talk to them their world has not shifted dramatically. Mm -hmm. So as you guys are selecting targets and making the decision whether or not to move into reprocessing with someone, we want to do our best to anticipate um, whether or not they're going to be able to handle the current stressors and the stress of reprocessing whatever we're choosing. And we need to remember that things are going to develop really rapidly. So today it might seem okay, but what about next week, right? Um, so those are just some things to keep in mind. What, what I've been doing a lot of, and I think a lot of people are erring in this direction, is really moving back into extended resourcing with the majority of our clients. There's going to be some situations where we clinically decide it's appropriate to do reprocessing, but for a lot of people, I don't I don't think I've had, well, I've had a couple of clients. The majority of my clients, they don't want to reprocess right now. Things feel so out of control and uncertain, and they feel triggered by what's going on. The vast majority of them, they want to break from reprocessing, and so we want to offer our clients that, but we also want to say there's really legitimate and important work that we can be doing in the midst of this, and that is creative extended resourcing. So things like a mastery skill is going to be really appropriate for almost everybody right now. A mastery skill that you know, is going to be a good fit is anytime the client has faced a major challenge in their life and overcame it, right? Discovered some internal resources, some things about who they are, their personality that were a huge asset to them. And we install that experience and those internal resources they have that can be helpful to them during this challenge. Absolutely. I think the extended resourcing I'm sure you guys are experiencing that clients just wanting to stay and kind of a, let's just process what's going on. Our targets may also be now what's happening in their lives right now. And can we target that for them? That's not going to lead to overall trauma reprocessing and healing or those big trait changes that we're looking for in EMDR, but they really are going to help with their current state of living um, and surviving these circumstances. So don't hesitate to set your previous treatment plan aside and say, what do you need right now? Could we target some of the things you've already been facing or maybe things that are to come, some future template work? Maybe they have anxiety on conference calls on Zoom. And so we want to target helping them alleviate that because their job is requiring them to be on a conference call every single Monday through telehealth or through an online platform. So looking at what can help enhance their lives in the state that it's currently in and how can we use EMDR in that way. Don't let your brain limit you and saying, well, EMDR is only going to work in this one capacity, but really open up and say, how can I take this fabulous approach um, and really apply it to what my client's needing right now? And there's a lot of ways we can do that. Yeah, I think, you know, one of those ways is, is revisiting Calm Safe Place with almost everybody and potentially um, changing it just a little bit or creating a new version of that that is in their home um, because that's where we all are right now. Um, what I've been encouraging my clients to do is actually create some spot in their home that is dedicated to them being able to really relax 
and experience a sense of safety and peace in their body. So that might be a chair in their bedroom. It might be going out to their car in the driveway Mm -hmm. and sitting there alone for a few minutes. Um, So just brainstorming with them, where is going to be their little oasis, their little safe haven in the midst of this that they can escape to and really experience a moment of calm. And once we've established what that's going to be, maybe they can enhance it, right? Maybe they have some essential oils sitting there. Maybe they um, put some flowers next to that chair and really helping them self-nurture in that way. And then we install that spot. And it's really a beautiful thing if they can be sitting in that spot while we're doing that installation. But even them just thinking about it is going to be really, really beneficial. So I think everybody can benefit from an update on their calm, safe place in a really specific way right now. It's a great point. So once we get through resourcing, low impact, we start moving into reprocessing if it's appropriate for your client. I I think kind of my final point I'd like to make in all of this is that our closing of a session and reevaluation is so key in this in this yeah. time. So closure is more important than ever. Normally our clients, we do closure with them in session and then they have a 5, 10, 20 minute drive from that place to the next. That's kind of this organic form of transitioning and closure that they aren't getting. So they're immediately walking from their session into their home life um, in some type of process. Closure that we do, continuing with what we normally do in session, even a little extra time, and even helping them to develop their own transitional ritual that they want to use from the time they end the call. And maybe it's closing their eyes and doing a short meditation, or it's walking outside and t- walking around the block before going back into taking care of their children, um, whatever that might be, but kind of finding their own ritual that helps their brain and their body to know, I get to close that that part of what I was doing and um, contain that and shift back over into my home life. Yeah, those are great points. Um, Well, so guys, we want to acknowledge that all of this is different if you're working with kids. (laughs) Things are super interesting right now. If you are um, seeing kiddos and, you know, that same stuff applies in terms of going a lot slower, focusing more on resourcing, reestablishing rapport. Um, But there's so much that is unique right now about working with kids via telehealth that we're going to do a separate episode on that. Um, and try to release it pretty quick so that you guys have um, just more support in trying to figure all of that out because there's a lot to consider there. The other thing that we wanted to let you guys know is to be watching Andrea um, because they're offering a lot of free trainings right now just to help all of us make this transition and stay up to date with things that we need to be thinking about. Um, so just check in there periodically and see what they're offering because uh, they're, they're doing their best to put out some resources for all of us. Great. Thank you guys for tuning in today. Um, We're going to just continue recording like this as much as we can and hopefully continue to have content out there to help you guys stay up to date on what's going on and things to try. But also if your workload has lightened a little bit to help you fill some of that time and still feel connected with the EMDR community. Again, I just want to reiterate, send us messages, send us notes on Facebook, Instagram, our website. We love to hear from you guys. Um, We love to create a sense of community through this time with all of our listeners, just kind of sharing what you're going through, what your needs are, um, and we want to be there to support you as much as we can. 
Um, We'll be tuned back in again soon with some more episodes, but until then, everyone stay well and take care, and we'll talk again soon. All right. Take care, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to notice that at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time.